There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. And this week we bring you Joe Theismann, uh, the former Redskins quarterback, former broadcaster on Monday Night Football, and a friend of the show on the Ryan Kelly Morning After. And, and then also kind of an odd spot for me personally because... I don't know details. He's he he being Joe certainly hints at things. I think I tell myself anyway. It's lighthearted and not real. But Joe and my mom knew each other in college. That's what that's the word I'm going to use. They knew each other in college, and it's 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 an awkward conversation. As uh, Ted Danson said to the cat when he asked him about his uh, relationship with Who- Whoopi Goldberg. So uh, that's that's the dynamic going on with Joe and myself uh, over the course of the interview. Now, uh, as, as we did the interview, the expectation would be that we would talk a lot of football, uh, a lot about his career, and then, then we just kind of talked about life, but in, in an upbeat, abstract manner, and... He, he, we had, we had a hard out. Now, so many times in these podcast interviews, I'll ask somebody how much time they'll have, they saw a half hour, an hour, and then we wind up usually going long, which is my fault. Uh, in this case, uh, Joe had a hard out. I think he had a speaking engagement in Las Vegas. We were talking to him. He was in Las Vegas. And so we actually did have to go. But then I'm like, you know, we got done with it. I'm like, this was, this was, this was not the interview I expected to do. It wound up being just a conversation about life. And it was really good perspective then you kind of get an understanding of why he speaks because you kind of come away from it feeling better about things uh so uh that and of course he does bring up my mom and then there's that whole that whole that whole deal but we shall focus on uh you know his perspective from his life experiences uh which provides a different kind of podcast today here on the inside stl podcast network from the homeloanexpert.com studios ryan kelly our studio sponsor and he's online at the homeloanexpert.com I know this, and I imagine many of you do as well. When you are in credit card debt, it consumes you. And on top of it, it can become something that uh, you just feel like, well, I tried. I'm never going to get out of it. It's just something I'm going to live with. Well, here is the deal. First off, don't feel badly because the average credit card debt of an American household right now in 2018 is $16,000. And plus, the system's kind of set up with those interest rates to make it very difficult for you to get out of it in the first place. So don't beat yourself up over it, but you can do something about it. And that's to get a cash out refi with Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team. It will make sense for you. Why? Because home values are super high and interest rates are super low. And you take that and you pay off the credit card and you start fresh. That's the move. They can do that for you. 
at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly and his outstanding staff. Whether you're buying a home or whether you're refinancing, it's Ryan Kelly and thehomeloanexpert.com team. Another great sponsor of this program is James Carlton and the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. He is based in Webster Groves in St. Louis, Missouri, and he has been somebody I have really enjoyed getting to know. I have a situation going on right now uh, with a car, and immediately it, it text the guy and he's on it you email it he's on it's just a it's just a you would think it's kind of basic but as many of you are well aware it's not and so to have that with james is so helpful plus he knows the business let me tell you this if james carlton were a stock i'd be buying it up he is he's doing things the right way and making a name for himself in st louis and that's because of the manner with which he conducts business. His staff conducts business in Webster Groves. 314-961-4800. 314-961-4800. They do all the work for you when you switch. You don't have to worry about that. And they do it quick, fast, in a hurry. 314-961-4800. Save you money. And then know you have somebody, if and when you have a question, that you can email or call and get an answer right away. Oh, it's so refreshing. CarltonInsurance.net. Check out the Google and Facebook reviews. You will see people going crazy about how happy they are with their service from the James Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency. 314-961-4800. And Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at the Washington Elizabeth exit off of Highway 270 in St. Louis or online at Landoff.com. I've gotten to know the Landoff family. John's father started the dealership. And now his sons are involved, and my wife, we just got her car from there, and I can't say enough good things about the Landoffs and how much they can save you with some of their incredible deals and also lifetime warranties. It's all at Landoff.com or the exit of Washington Elizabeth at Highway 270, Landoff.com. Johnny Landoff, Chevrolet. Thank you to all of our sponsors who make the podcast possible. Without you, we wouldn't have a show and we're incredibly grateful that you have gotten on board. If you ever have any questions, requests, feedback, you want to advertise, email me at tmckernan at insidestl.com, T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at insidestl.com. And I always welcome feedback, both positive and negative. Uh, And, of course, your positive reviews on iTunes or wherever you may podcast. That allows us to keep bringing you these interviews. And if you've missed them, man, we've had some good ones here lately. We have had some very good interviews on this program, and I've had a lot of people say, God, I didn't even realize how long this goes back. It goes back to October of 2017, a new interview every week. And so if you got a long drive, settle in and enjoy the podcast and enjoy this one. Our guest this week from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, Joe Theismann. Oh my God! Is it the real Tim McKernan, or is it just some is it some fake news kind of person? No, this is the you got the real one today. I know you've done a lot of fake Tim McKernan interviews, but you got the real oh one today, Joe. Oh my gosh! What a Can't thrill! Wait. What are you What are you doing out in Las Vegas? I actually I work with a company called AFS. We're a logistics company mm-hmm. where we uh, we save people money when it comes to shipping. Ah. Short of shortly. So is this like are you like a partner in this, or are you a spokesperson? No, it's it's um I, I, I do work for the company. Right. I work for a lot of different companies. So this is one of them that I do yeah. work for. Renaissance man. Yeah, and I'm looking at the uh, I'm out here looking at Route 50, uh, 15 Highway, overlooking the pool at the Bellagio. 
I'm so jealous of you right now. I love Las I'm Vegas. jealous of myself right now. That's the scary part. <laughs> so when you're out there, what do you do? Do you play golf? Do you? Go I to usually play golf. We've we've been really packed with a lot of meetings, so I haven't had a chance to really do a lot. I work out, I play golf, um, go to shows. When you play um, out there, so, you're playing at uh, Cascada and Shadow Creek. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, it depends on the properties, though. You know, Steve Wynn, the, the Wynn properties, they're just uh, they're tearing up the golf course and putting a beach pool kind of beach lake or something behind it. That's I haven't right. seen it yet, but yeah, they've they've taken that golf course out, which was the only golf course on the strip. So if you're gonna go anywhere, you go to Rio Seco, Lake Las Vegas, Cascada, um, Shadow. I mean there's umpteen of them out here. What's the golf uh index right now? What's the handicap? It's gone up. I'm just I just haven't played a lot. I've got uh, a little bit of knee issue, a little bit of shoulder. I'm three point eight. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's not, you're not no. happy with that. I'm in awe. No, you know, I I have I have struggled with my putting. I probably have gone through. I can't I can't even imagine how many different putting grips I've gone through. What are you on right now? Um, you're on the pencil grip right now. Oh gosh, I mean, a claw, pencil, <laughs> left hand low, right hand low. You know, stick it in your nose. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, that's the good. Absolutely, it drives me crazy. It really does. I I tend to pull everything a little bit with my right hand. Yeah, I'm that's my, that's my miss as well. Guy. That's my miss. Well, I love going out. So when when you dine out in Las Vegas, which is uh, it's my home away from home. Some of your favorite. I know it is. You're a you're a professional. Well, I mean, I don't I don't know about that. I I've spent a lot of time playing in the World Series of Poker, and I know you have a great deal of respect for my poker game, uh, and you're fascinated by it. Certainly, I'm fascinated that you can do it. That's, <laughs> well, that's what I'm. You could go downstairs by. right now and play in that Bellagio poker room. I could. I could. I did. You know, it's never been. It's never been something that um, I feel attracted to. I'm. I have played craps. I play a little bit of pie gal poker, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of the um, uh, baccarat. Um, but you know, even now, um, it's maybe uh, half an hour in the casino. Yeah. You know, just it, you know what it is for me. What, truthfully, I love to watch people. I travel a lot. I sit in airports. I sit in the seats that face, you know, with everybody. And I, I just I look at people. And I, I see the different the sizes, the shapes, the different type of people. I watch parents try and, you know, deal with their kids. It's, it's really the kids controlling their parents. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's so many. It, it, and Vegas is the same way. It's, it's such a great study of human nature. All different kinds of people. I love to study people. I majored in social in school, and I guess I'm sort of going back to my college days when you know, I, I, you studied the the way people react to situations and react to one another. It's really quite interesting. Well, that's what poker is. You're, you're watching people's behavior, and there are little, not little, they're, they're significant tells. Like, there, there, are, there are blood vessels that throb if somebody has a good hand, or they lean forward if they have a good hand, or they lean backwards in their chair if they have a bad hand. And all these things are intuitive, and based on the fact that it sounds like you're relatively fascinated by human behavior, you would probably pick up on these pretty quickly. So it doesn't even matter what cards you have. You're playing the person. Yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. You know, it's, it's funny, too, because as we start to talk about human nature, uh, the world of football, as an example, um, a lot of times when you study film, if you're a, 
what our offensive linemen used to do would be to study the weight. You could look at the knuckles of the defensive linemen. Now, mm-hmm. some of them wear gloves, some of them don't. If their knuckles were sort of white, um, or they could see the pressure that they have on their hand, which means there's only one way they're going to go, and that's forward. Whereas if they look like they had their hand on the ground a little more lightly, it uh, usually meant that you know they might uh, run a T and T, you know, game or a T and E game, and, and you know it's it's funny how just it's funny just the study of people. But that's a in fascinating general, tell. So many I've never heard that before. It, it really is. I mean, no, and you know, I mean, cornerbacks uh, the same way. Some of them stand a little taller. The really great, the really great players, uh, and I think it's the same way in poker as it would be in in, in almost any sport. Um, they study, you study the opponent, you study yourself so that you don't wind up with tells and it becomes very, you know, an element of self-discipline. Yeah. But then you, you study other people also, um, just to sort of get an idea of what they're thinking and how they're thinking and, you know, the way they want to approach situations. Now, I, I, with you being in Las Vegas, I figured it was a speaking engagement because I know you speak quite often. And my understanding is, you speak about leadership and self-motivation. And oftentimes I feel like people who really have no business talking about leadership or self-motivation, they get into this industry and then try to get on the speaker circuit and it becomes smoke and mirrors. But, you know, having done what you've done, both athletically and in the business world, you can certainly speak to uh, self-motivation tactics and leadership elements. And so I realize I'm not paying the speaker fee and, and anybody listening to the show, they're not, they're not, they're not paying it either. But if you could give me an idea of what it is that you talk about that either has helped you or you've observed that has helped people when you are uh, on your speaker. Well, Timmy, let me give you, let me give you the Genesis a little bit. Uh, I've been doing this for like 40 years. The Washington Speakers Bureau out of Washington, out of Alexandria, Virginia has represented me since day one. I was their first speaker almost, I guess, 40 years ago. Um, Harry Rhodes and Bernie Swain were the two guys that started the business. And um, after we won the world championship in 1982, I I was invited to a lot of different corporate events. And in visiting with executives, salespeople, human resources, everybody in the company, up up and down the ladder, um, they, they were talking about the same things that we talked about in football. You know, every company wants to sit down at an annual meeting and say, these are our goals. But we talk about goals. Um, the attitudes of individuals who are participating in the organization, whether it's athletic, business, uh, charitable, whatever it might be, is, is critical. Um, customer service is really the only reason we're in business anyway, because without customers, you don't have business. But mm-hmm. even to break it down more, is it's people-people relationships. I can walk through locker rooms, and I don't care what's an NBA, WNBA, um, NFL, MLB, doesn't matter, soccer. You can tell if people like being with one another. And if they like being with one another, there's a pretty good chance they have an opportunity to be successful. Hmm. So there's those relationships. And then there's the ultimate teamwork. I mean, uh, whether it's a family unit, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, in, in any, any aspect of life, uh, the team aspect comes in. And then, you know, what gets you going? What motivates you to get up in the morning? Why do you get up? It it can't be just money. There has to be another reason to go up. Is it to serve others? Is it to help people? Is it to to create something? Is it to um, try and finish something? 
So basically, the five things I talk about are goals, attitudes, customer service, teamwork, and motivation. And I've taken them uh, through listening to other people, studying other people, and my own personal experiences and, and molded it into about a 45-minute presentation. And I love to do Q&A after it. So it's about an hour. Sometimes it goes a bit longer. I get We have a little bit of get fun going. And sometimes I throw footballs around. Um, don't throw them very far anymore, but I took out a chandelier here in Vegas about 10 years ago. We, <laughs> Who was on the hook for that company had insurance? I don't, I don't know. You know, the, 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 the person was running up the aisle where we, where there was chandeliers on the wall and, well, you know, it was a stupid place to put a chandelier. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> it was in your way. I understand that. <laughs> knock my, knock my pa- I've had passes knocked down by a lot of different people, never uh, chandeliers. <laughs> so I would imagine you love doing this, and it sounds like it was something that was natural for you. I, I actually do. I, I do love doing it. I, I, the thing is, <clears throat> is um, I really like to share the stories of my life, both good and bad. So that people understand, first of all, that those of us that have, you know, you see on television, we're really no different than 99% of the people out there. We go through the same trials and tribulations, the same joys, the same um, agonies, the same wins, the same losses in our life. The uh, Family situation, we deal with all that stuff. People don't realize that. All they see is you in a uniform, and then they automatically draw an opinion of you. Um, by being able to share some stories, I hope that I give people insight, not into who I am, but into who they are. And that they have a chance to take a look at their life and the direction they want to go in and the relationships they have. I had a, I'll tell you a really quick little story. I had a friend of mine come up to me about six months ago. And he said, Joe, you know, do you consider yourself a success? Because obviously everybody wants to aspire to, to get to become successful. I said, I guess so. I said, I played 15 years of professional football, and I was fortunate enough to be part of a, a lot of great things in Washington and in Toronto. And at, uh, and so the, for the 15 years, I guess you could say it was a success. I have been speaking for nigh on 40 years, and longevity says that if you're doing it that long, evidently people enjoy listening and, and learning. And I broadcast for 23 and so, again, longevity there tells you a little bit of something, mm-hmm. I guess. So he said, Joe, he said, what you really did was you aspired to try and be great on a football field. That was an aspiration of yours. You aspired to be a teacher when it came to broadcasting. You would aspire to influence people, not influence them, but share stories so that they can look at their lives. These are all aspirations. He said, true success occurs once you have reached a point in your life and you start giving back. That's when you become successful. Mm-hmm. And that's something, and it's really, you know, it's food for thought as we go through our lives. Um, how much do we really give back? How much, how much do you do without the intent of receiving anything back? And, yeah. and it, you know, it's sort of a little self-examination. But, you know, I studied the best two courses I took in college. I mean, I took all the required courses at Notre Dame, but probably the two that helped me the most were speech and argumentation. Being able to get up in front of people. And I say this to all young people out there. Any young people that are listening, you can send an email, you can send a a text, you can go Instagram, Facebook, all of the different things that are out there. But sooner or later, you're going to have to sit down in front of somebody if you want a job and tell them why you're the best person for the job. And this is why I emphasize my grandson has, has just finished his freshman year in college. And Kanan and I were talking, and I said, Kanan, I really strongly emphasize you to take some speech courses, some 
courses where you get up in front of people and you put a presentation together and you talk about things. He said, well, you know, they didn't offer it his freshman year, but they will his sophomore year. And I encourage every young person out there to take the time to learn how to communicate. Because with, with all the elements of the social media that exist today, including the Internet, people become more and more isolated. Because, you know, now you can hide behind something if you don't like something. You know, now you have all these dating websites. If I if I wanted to go out on a date when I was younger, you had to go to the, the young lady's house, knock on the door. And um, there would be, you know, their mom or dad or somebody to meet you. And then I'd like to take, you know, like take Barbara out to dinner or, you know, and you have to be able to communicate. That is that is a lost art, which is an odd thing to me because it just seems so natural growing up. But now, because people text or they take shots via social media where they can hide behind a cloak of anonymity, uh, actually human interaction, whether it be something that's not even face-to-face, Joe, because some people uh, are t- completely averse to talking on the phone, much less face-to-face. So you oh, do yeah, have a generation people... of people not comfortable having conversations. Most executives prefer texting. I have a lot of friends of mine that are executives in companies, and it's you know to call them it's difficult to, to really get them. But I can I can fire a text off and have a response back in thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah. It, it it just it seems a bit more efficient, and to a degree I think it is. But I think being able to communicate has become somewhat of a lost art. Plus, I, plus you know the younger generations have grown up with things that the older generations never had. The only way we could communicate was verbally. Now there are so many avenues that are available to the younger generation to be able to um, communicate with one another or request things. And of course, you know you've got the, you've got Amazon out there, the the six hundred pound gorilla. And uh, think of it, dial it, and there it is, mm-hmm. poof, on your doorstep. All right. It is amazing to see how it's transferred so quickly. Uh, was was speaking something you were comfortable with growing up before you started experiencing success? Or was it something that you learned and then got comfortable with? Ask your mom. Oh, my ask, God. Drop out of that. It's the most offensive thing I've ever heard in the history of my life. Ask, ask your mom <laughs> but if I'll te- I but I'll, te- but I'll text her right now. <laughs> yeah, text, text her and say, hey, Mom, could could Joe talk? No, actually, I've been— I, um, What class did you have with her? Wasn't it a theater class? No, it was it was just speech and argument. It was speech and argument. Oh, you were in the class with my mom. Was, that was the most significant class in your time at Notre Dame. Um, yeah, probably. How yeah, about that? That's right. Yeah, no, it was. Um, the, the thing about it is, the number one fear, I believe, of Americans is to to get up in front of someone and speak. But for but, for, but my death. guess for you is it, it it never was, and for me it's never been, and so we can't relate unless you're going to tell me you actually were, and then suddenly you had a breakthrough in South Bend. No, I you know I because I went through it in class. In the beginning, you're you have trepidation. Mm-hmm. You're not sure um, how to organize your thoughts. You really have to have you really have to organize your thoughts on what you want to say, how you want to present it. Um, I take little pauses just to test the audience and see if they're listening. Mm. If, if you take a little pause, and then all of a sudden you hear the room, are people shuffling? Um, are they looking down at their phones? And, you know, the, we ask people not to, to, to turn their phones off, but invariably a phone goes off, and it's just something you deal with, because mm-hmm. that's what parts of society are today. Uh, you know, to be able to look at people. 
you know, what I tell people who are who are learning how to speak or want to speak, instead of looking at an audience of, of 300 people, pick out three or four in different parts of the room and talk to them, just like you're talking to a friend, mm-hmm. and see if you can find a comfort level with that and then expand from there. That's a good strategy. That's a nice little strategy right there. It's like trying to make pars instead of birdies. That's a, that's a really nice strategy. It's good course management. Growing up, were you the best in your neighborhood at baseball, basketball, football? Was that just kind of the way it was? I'm always fascinated when I talk with athletes, and some guys will say, yeah, it was, it was just kind of that way, and then I picked one, or some guys were, were late bloomers. How would you describe yourself like in your you know, what, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old in your neighborhood? I was I was sort of the you know one of maybe two or three in in the in the little town. Drew Pearson was a teammate of mine in high school. So wow, that, he was the wide receiver, obviously with the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. And so Drew um, Drew and I were in school together. And you know I, I I guess what I look back at my my youth, I always played with guys older. When I was twelve, I was playing with guys that were fourteen. When I was 14, I was playing with guys that were 16 and 17. I, my skill level, I guess, was at a point where I was able to compete at that level above my age. And um, But you know what? And this is something today. You bring up a great point about our youth. I, I Parents today see something in their daughter or their son. And all of a sudden, it was something that they wanted. It was their dream. And now they see this talent in their daughter or their son, and they start to direct them towards their lost dream Hmm. instead of letting the kids have their own. Let them decide what they want to do. Let them decide what what they want to choose in life. Be there to support them as opposed to influence them and direct them in something you weren't able to quite accomplish. I I think... uh, you know, I mean, for crying out loud, I'm looking at, I'm watching high school combines. I'm, you know, the, give the kids, let the kids be kids, young young tennis stars. You, how often do you see young ladies on, on the tour? They're 19, 20 years old, and they're burned out. They've been going at it since they were nine. Yeah. And they're just there's there's nothing left, and I think that's one. Of, and it's you know obviously as a parent you want to be proud, and and some of us say hey, sometimes you miss the brass ring on the merry-go-round, but don't don't think that you have to put your child into a situation where they're going to be the ones that's going to grab the ring for you. Let them go grab their own rings. Yeah, I, ha- I have an eight-month-old, my first uh, child. Congratulations! Thank you so much, Joe. To you and your wife. Thank you very much, and I I want to make sure that I, I don't do many of the things that you just said a lot of parents are doing right now. I've gotten back into golf. I didn't play when I was playing poker, not professionally, but you know it became somewhat serious, and I stopped playing golf for 10 years, picked it back up, and am decent by no means a 3.8 that you sneer at. Uh, makes me feel terrible about my... my my 10.5, but either way, I would love for okay, my... You, listen, you, can, you can do a lot better with the 10.5 than you can at 3.8. Because that means <laughs> I, I, I have to shoot 76 or better every time I'm out. That ain't going to happen. <laughs> so I want my son to play, but only if he wants to play, you know? I mean, and if he does, then I would want to put him in a position to excel if he wants to. And so that's what I wonder about growing up. So you're playing all three sports in New Jersey. You're well, let me just say this about, let me just say this about you and your son. Okay. One of the, because uh, both of my boys do my, both of my boys play and you're really not going to find a better four hour period where you can teach and learn and share, uh, with your child, whether it be your daughter, or your son, um, 
you know, you get out, you get out late in the evening, go play nine holes. Maybe it's an hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Or if you play full rounds and they're a little bit older, um, what a great way to really spend time with them. Because if you really look at a child's day, they get, you get up in the morning. Um, parents, whether it's a single parent or, or parents, um, or the adult in the house, you're you're at the maybe you're at the kitchen table or wherever you are for half an hour to get to see your child. Mm-hmm. Then they're gone all day. You're gone all day. You get home in the evening. Um, maybe if you're lucky, you sit down and have dinner together for another half hour, 40 minutes. They're off to do their homework or they're off to play video games or whatever they're going to do. So how, how much time do you really get to spend uh, with a child, with your, with your child, uh, um, young adult? Because like what's going on in society today is so much more challenging for the young people today than it was when we were growing up. I mean, I grew up in a town that was two square miles big. You know, I mean, it was I was I lived two blocks from my high school, wow. baseball diamond, football fields, basketball courts, tennis courts. We used to play stickball against the the back of the building. Ah, I love it. We would use a cork ball bat with a tennis ball. What did you guys use? Yeah, we used a broomstick. Broomstick. We 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 had a broomstick. You know, I mean, you really had to uh, not a, not a whole lot of diameter there, but it was uh, yeah. We had that when we were kids. I loved that. That was my favorite. We called it fuzzball. In South St. Well, Louis. We, we used to, we used to, um, we used to hit it. And if you hit it, like if you hit a home run and it went on the um, top of the school, we'd have to sneak in through the gymnasium window and hope the police didn't come to go get our ball back. <laughs> the hoodlums <laughs> was, of Jersey. pseudo juvenile. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were, when you were getting to be really good in, in high school, were you going, okay, I'm going to play football. I know I'm going to play football. Were you at that level or were you really good at baseball and basketball? So you had all kinds of options. Now, baseball actually is my first love. I still love baseball. I, when I travel and I'm, I put, like, in a hotel room, if I'm in Washington, I put the Nationals on, I listen to the ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm on the road, I'll, you know, I'll throw a baseball game on and just have it be a company for me. Or I'll, you know, I just, I love, I love baseball. I had a chance to play. I got drafted by the Minnesota Twins out of college. So I had a chance to go pro, and it just turned out that football was a shorter road. Um, I still have my Minnesota Twins contract, five hundred dollars. I was drafted in the thirty-third round. Wow, was that was and that I, was that a tough decision, or was it an easy? No, decision? not really, because you know, with football, you're either in or you're out. You're there, or you're not there. With mm. baseball, you go through the double yeah. A, triple A, and then on. I tell, I saw Mike Piazza about a year ago, and I walked up to Mike. I said, Mike, just want you to know, you were drafted in the sixty-sixth round. I was drafted in the 33rd round, and you're in the Hall of Fame, so congratulations. <laughs> I, I imagine your personality tells me— claim the fame in baseball. Your personality tells me you don't, you don't ever think about what might have been because obviously things worked out quite well. But did you ever—like when you're grinding through things at Notre Dame, Terry Hanratty's the starter, you're the freshman, and you're, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, nah, maybe it would have been nice to play baseball. Did that ever cross your mind, or you were all no. in on— Fighting Irish. Never. Quarter. I actually played baseball in the summer when I was at Notre Dame. I mean, I'd go home for the summer and play baseball, but um, I was all in. Yeah. I, mean, I, I played basketball too. I used to play. We had a, we had a great basketball team back in the uh, late sixties, uh, early seventies, sixty seven, sixty eight, sixty nine, seventy. Um, this before Digger Phelps got there, and, and of course Mike Bray's done a great job. And, and mm-hmm. Muffet, how about how about our national champion women's basketball? Yeah, I was that watching not, that. Yep. That to me is some of the most exciting basketball I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I, I, 
the NBA candle. Well, LeBron comes close to to being that magical, to be honest with you. But our women were unbelievable this year. But no, I I used to play. Um, when I was at Notre Dame, I, I, all my classes were done at 1 o'clock. I'd set it up that way because I had to have it in the fall that way to go to football practice. So I just kept it that way um, in in the other semester when I wasn't playing ball. And I used to play basketball from like 1 to, to 5 or 6 and then, you know, go to study hall. And, and I just – I wasn't a good student, so I had to put the time in to stay eligible to be able to uh, attend classes and go to school. I'm, you know, and Notre Dame back in the late 60s, it was all male. Yep. And we had about seven thousand guys. And so, so my mom, my my mom, who was referenced earlier in this uh, this interview, she would come across the street from St. Mary's, which was the all girls school. Mm-hmm. For yeah, the we record. had joint, we had sub joint classes. We uh, with the uh, the ladies from uh, from uh, St. Mary's. Yeah, that's how Joe uh, and my mom got to know each other. Just for the record. Yes. Just for the record, yes, I yes. want that to be clear. Crystal, thank you very much. That there's a little asterisk in, in, in the discussion on how it all came. We're about. still checking the DNA. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. It took 20 minutes for you to fire the the shot. <laughs> I'd be taller hey, and with a fabulous I'm still proud head of hair. You. If you were what my you dad, I'm still proud of you. Come on. <laughs> thank you so much. But you have this fabulous head of hair. I'm I started losing my hair when I was like 18. You know, I'm like five one or something like that. I don't know what I am. It's a it's an absolute disaster. If I were your son, I'd be I'd be glorious with that wonderful head of hair that you still have. I mean, you got it all going on, and and you played in two Super Bowls. I mean, I mean, what what else can you ask for? That 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 brings me. To, so I was looking at the, your your career, knowing we we're gonna we we're gonna talk, and I'm wondering with the attitude you have. Where everything's, I mean, I'm sure you're hard on yourself, but but the attitude you have, I'm curious where some people would be absolutely wrecked by losing a Super Bowl, especially when you're a year removed from winning one. Give me an idea if you can. Like when we would talk with Tony LaRusso, who I would imagine you know, um, yep. who would always talk about how he would, and Jim Edmonds, who played from it, say LaRusso would enjoy the wins a lot less than he would hate the losses, and it would wreck him. And so to get away from the game, he thought was better for him because on a nightly basis or a season basis in baseball, you're going to lose 70 games, even if you have a great team. And so that means he's miserable 70 times. So for you to go from winning in the 82 season to then losing to the Raiders in the 83 season, give me your emotions on that. If you can recall what the difference was, how big the chasm was. uh, Tony's so right. Um, I remember so many more things about Super Bowl 18 that we lost to the Raiders than I do Super Bowl 17 that we won beating the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. It just that one seems like just a, a euphoric blur. Um the celebration, John's run, uh, the I I have to look at the games to sort of remember a lot of it now at this stage uh, of my life. But um you know some things come back, some things don't, but when you get to that level, it's the worst the worst experience you could have. I I remember um, after we beat the Miami Dolphins, we all a lot of us flew to Hawaii for the Pro Bowl. And it was a Thursday afternoon under a palm tree. I'm sitting with Bobby Baumauer, the nose tackle of the Miami Dolphins. And we had won. They had lost. And Bob and I are sitting there, and I'll never forget it. And I said to him, I hate to ask you this question. I waited till Thursday. I figured I'd let smoke clear a little bit. And I said, Bob, what's it like to lose a Super Bowl? He said, Joe, it's the most devastating thing in the world. You work so hard. You get so close. 
He said, now we're just one of 31 other football teams. There's one champion, and whether you, whether you were, you know, I'll take you back to the New England Patriot team that went 18-1. and one. Doesn't yep. matter. Yep, yep. They, you, they could have been 1-18. and 18. At the end, they're one of the 31. They're not the one on top of the mountain. And that's where the Eagles are today. But it's, it's, um, you do a, a lot of analysis as to why it happened. I, I, that's, I like to take a look at situations, good and bad. A lot of times people sort of take for granted the good and don't really study it and figure out why it happened. I like to look at both sides. You know, what went wrong in this situation that we didn't get the contract we wanted or we didn't uh, deliver the way we should have? I, I do it in my restaurant business all the time. We analyze, you know, on a daily basis, you know, our staff, our management. You know, are we doing the right thing? Is it a great experience for the people that are coming in? And, and so I, I basically do that, you know, when I do a presentation. I know when I've done a good job in a presentation. I know when I'm not, it's not to the standard that I, I hold myself to. And I, I say to myself, why? Did I, was I too fast in the delivery? Uh, did I not pronounce the name right? Did I, you know, one of the most important things you can do if you're ever going to be a public speaker is make sure you know what city you're in and make sure you know how to pronounce the name of the company you're talking to. Because once you blow that in the beginning, yeah. They're gone. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. are gone. And, yeah. I mean, you and you can't get them back. But no, it's you're right. The um, the loss just stays with you because then you go back and say, what could I have done differently? What I could I have done better? And there's lots of things you could always do better and different. They get overlooked, and sort of swept under the carpet a little bit when you win, but you still know. But it doesn't hurt. Well, you know, you hey, you got a ring. Were you, guys, were you guys expected to beat the Dolphins and expected to beat the Raiders? Was it vice versa? No. I think it was vice versa. Really? We expected wow. to beat the Raiders. Yeah. From what I understand, we were favored against the Raiders. Well, here's the thing. They didn't have Mike Haynes. I don't think Marcus Allen, but we beat him like 35-34, I think something like that, at RFK in 83 there. We only lost two games that year. We lost to the Cowboys by one point and the Packers by one point. Wow. Heck, the Packer game is the highest scoring game, I think, in the history of Monday Night Football. It was a 48-47 football game. That was Lynn Dickey and, and that whole bunch. Um, but I think we were favored against the Raiders. But, you know, they'd, they'd acquired Mike Haynes after we played him. Marcus didn't play. I don't think how he played in the game. So, you know, we got the full complement of the Raiders. And, um, you know, Reggie Kinlaw was their nose tackle. And I think he, to me, I know Marcus was the MVP. Every time I see my buddy Marcus, he always shows me his ring. He says, thank you. Says, <laughs> oh, that's, you. A nice, that's a nice gesture. You know, Marcus you is a St. Louis area resident now. Did you know that? Yeah, I yeah, know that. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, he's been, he's been on this very show. I've played golf with him uh, a couple times. Oh, he loves it. He's great. His his little son Drake is doing great, and mm-hmm. every, uh, everybody. So, um, yeah, but um, you know, we went out and lost that game. And I mean, we had a bunch of crazy plays. I threw an interception at the end of the half. They, I think they um, blocked a punt. Um, that thing was bad. That was a bad game from the get go. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, right, out of, right out of the shoot. It's like, boy, this just is a lousy day. Twenty one to it didn't three. Turn out to be that way at the, at the half. Twenty one to three at the half is. Uh... Well, that's because I threw the. It would have been twenty one fourteen. Um, you know, if we just run the clock out. So I mean, it, I'm sorry. It would have been fourteen three at the half instead of throwing the interception at the end of the half. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, twenty one. It's, it's been a, it's been a great ride. I just um, I'm very blessed to have the friends I've had. I'm very blessed to have been able to work for some great people. I mean, not many people realize I played for four Hall of Fame coaches. Played for George Allen early in my career, Joe Gibbs the end of my career, 
and then the two Pro Bowls I played, and I played for Bill Walsh and Tom Landry. Oh, and it, yeah. it's amazing when you get to spend a week around those people. And this is something that I always try and do. No matter where you are, if you want to get better at something, talk to people, spend time with people that are really great at what they do, mm-hmm. and uh, and learn from them. Every day has got to be a learning experience. And you've worked with some great broadcasters, too, in addition oh, to... Oh, Mike Patrick was sensational. Mike Tirico, um, Paul McGuire, Paulie and I, I, we just had so much fun. Mike, yeah. Paul, and I, we had so much fun in the booth together. Paul would take one note. We would be in a production meeting, and I'm writing notes down, and Paul's just listening, and he would take one note. <laughs> and I said, Paul, uh, I, I'm curious. You know, I, I try and jot things down. He said, Joe. He said, if you're writing things down, it's not easy to listen to what someone is saying. I prefer to listen to what they're saying and pick out that one gem and jot it down. And so, um, but I actually could write things down and hear people. That was the difference between us. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great broadcast. That was a great broadcast. I love, I'll tell you something. It was so much fun. And Mike just retired this year and Mike's doing great, uh, had a heart issue for a little while, but he's you know changed his diet and his habits, and he's doing he's doing terrific. And we still remain very close friends. And Paulie lives down in Charleston, I believe. And um, it was a great run. And Mike Tirico, you know, Mike. I told Mike, I said, Mike, you could do tiddlywinks, and everybody would think that you're an expert. Um, <laughs> he's that he good. Just, he is so he's so knowledgeable. I mean, he he could do he could do a baseball game one day, a you know a golf outing a golf tournament the next day um a a basketball game a football game and you would think you know the names he knows everybody he's just he's one of the one of the most incredible people i've ever been around yeah he's uh, when it comes to that stuff so i've been very i've been very lucky and i had three great producers john wildhack was my first freddie goodelli was my second and jay rothman was the third when i worked at espn and um you know i've been very fortunate to be around some great teachers and it's been fun I mean, you know, why why wake up in the morning with a frown? The fact that you're getting up ought to be a plus. Yeah. And just go enjoy life. And 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 make make I, I wish everybody who's listening make today the first day that every day of your life you put a smile on somebody's face in some way, shape, or form. It's a nice challenge. It's a simple yeah. task. It's not that hard. Yeah. It's not that hard. Yeah. We laugh all the time. We talk to each other. Yeah. That's a simple task. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, yeah. If you could make that the goal, yeah, that's not a bad idea. It's not a bad little yeah. uh, guideline to live by. Sure. Yeah. Well, Joe, I know you're in Las Vegas. I'm jealous of you, as I said. Um, I know you are, and I would so, love to be. I'm there. looking at the pool. Oh. All five, all five of them here. Yeah, I know. The Bellagio getting is, sunny now. The sun's going to be hot. It's going to be a hundred plus today again. So sometimes I look at the forecast and just, well, now with the eight month old, I'm not going to be out there sitting in poker rooms for 10 hours at a time. Those days are at least for Isn't the it funny term. how life changes Oh, immediately, but I wouldn't change it for a second. I mean, you know, that program, you, no, you know, I mean, no. it's, it's been the best, but, uh, yeah, the, the Las Vegas trips where I stay out there for two weeks at a time to play poker are probably not going to be happening. Wouldn't be the greatest, so. greatest parent. Not for a while. Yeah, right now, not for a little while, but we always <laughs> love uh, catching up. Thank you so much for the time. Enjoy Las Vegas, and we'll look forward to talking again soon. Tim, I do as well. You take care of yourself. So there it is, Joe Theismann with us here on the Tim McKernan Show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Uh, A guy who had it all going for him, and then on Monday Night Football against the New York Giants, the infamous Lawrence Taylor hit ended the football career 
And yeah, I think a lot of people would understand if he were bitter about that and you hear how upbeat he is in his approach. I just admire that. And I would imagine a lot of you heard it and, and probably feel the same way. Just the way he goes about it, it's very admirable. And uh, I think there's some life lessons in that conversation. Like I said, we just called him up, thought we were going to go into, you know, football discussion. And then the next thing I you know, it's a life discussion. But I enjoyed it. Probably enjoy that more than I would have the football discussion. Um, and so we're grateful to Joe Theismann for his time with us here on the Tim McKernan Show. Thank you to the HomeLoanExpert.com, to James Carlton, the State Farm Insurance Agency, and also to Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, our sponsors of the Tim McKernan Show. Thank you to our executive producer, John Seymour, and thank you to all of you for listening, as always, to the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndewgaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.